As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Three, two, one, zero. Hello, welcome to... Episode 158, Tanya Redding. Hey, Money Clan, a very warm welcome to the Chain of Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien. And I'm Katie Welsh. So, Katie, pretty cool conversation we had today with Tanya. was focusing mainly about student loans and just how to set yourself up in life that you're in a really great position. Yeah, Dan, it was really interesting for me because Tanya is also a teacher. First, it was really nice to talk to another teacher about money because usually when I talk to my teacher friends about money, it's they are like trying to get out of the conversation as fast as possible. Yeah, so, so speak to another teacher that actually is into money. Yeah, yeah. that was nice. <laughs> so that, and I don't think it's any surprise here, I have made just about every mistake when it comes to student loans and really enjoying the money on disbursement day right, yeah. and everything. And Tanya didn't do that. Yeah. She actually paid the loan back. 20-year-old Katie would have <laughs> never even considered that. Yeah. But I also think like it shows what such a massive difference you can make if you make good decisions early on. Yeah. And like she said, a lot of it just so it happened that way. It wasn't anticipated. But I think that, you know, like, when you start bringing up kids or if you're very young listening to this, this is something you should be thinking about. You know, always be aware of what the long-term impact is of what you're doing. And it's really going to, you know, like set you up better for later life. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, before we dive out in, if you guys haven't already, don't forget to join our Facebook group. You can head on over to chainofwealth.com slash group. We would love it if you joined our community. Come say hi and let yes. us know what you're working on. <laughs> All right, Kate, you ready to dive into today's episode? Yes. Fantastic. Let's do it. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. Welcome. 
Today we have Tanya Redding, who is a special education teacher based in Portland, Oregon. Tanya started her blog, Money Saved is Money Earned, in March 2018 and hopes to spread financial education by covering topics about saving and tips to being frugal. Tanya managed to pay off all of her student loans and purchase her first home all while paying for her master's degree. Besides her home and a small car loan, she is completely debt free. Welcome. Welcome, Tanya. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so the first thing that really stuck out in my mind when I was looking through your blog is I'm also a teacher and uh, I have recently paid off my student loan. So first, I want to say a big congratulations on paying off your student loan and buying your first house. Thank you so much. <laughs> There's a lot of work that went into it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, and also being on a teaching salary, sometimes depending on like your personal situation can be a a bit of a crunch. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so first, what was kind of going on, going through your mind rather, while you were paying off your debt? How much did you start out with? Like what was kind of, can you tell us about it a bit? Definitely. Um, I think what really, and I, and again, I, this was back my college days. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I made some choices that ended up being really beneficial to me. And now looking back, it was like, wow, that was a really smart move. Um, so some of the choices I made while I was in college really set me up to have less in student loans, um, which was helpful in being able to pay them off so quickly. So some of the things that I did, for example, uh, I only lived in the dorm one year and then I was living with roommates. So I saved a lot of money doing that. I also applied for scholarships, grants, everything I could get my hands on and that they would give to me, which reduced obviously the amount of loans I needed to take out. And I also worked. Um, I worked primarily the, my last three years, but I always had a job of some kind so I could supplement um, tuition costs and housing costs and whatnot, which again, reduced the amount of loans I had to take out. And then the last thing, which I, again, I just did this naturally, but looking back, it was a really smart move. Once I moved out of the dorms, when I got my tuition disbursement, every quarter, I would always have a little bit extra, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred, something like that. And I would put that right back on the loan instead of using it for something else. So I think that was a big difference between what I did and a lot of other students that I knew did. Um, they would take that extra money if they had any and they would you know, go on a trip or they would buy something. And, and I never did that. I just put it right back on the loan. So all of those factors meant that when I graduated, oh, and I, let me step back, I forgot one really big piece, which is that my parents also took out loans for me. When I graduated, the loans that I had were only 13500 which is pretty low, considering the average is more 30000 40000ish And um, so I started out, I think, with less than what most people would have. So that was really helpful. What would you say is one of the most challenging aspects you would say to paying off that debt? For me, honestly, it wasn't super challenging, again, because of my circumstances. When I graduated, I moved back home because I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Originally, I wanted to go to grad school right away, and I wasn't accepted. So I had to figure out what am I going to do. So I moved back home, found a job, and my parents were gracious enough to allow me to stay at home for the next almost five, six years 
while I paid off my loans. Um, and living at home, you know, in a family situation where my parents were the primary breadwinners allowed me to have very reduced expenses. And so I was easily able to make my minimum student loan payment. And then I don't like debt. I didn't like owing money. So I would put extra towards the loan. And that was another thing that I just sort of stumbled onto that really helped me pay them off quickly was, you know, when you pay extra towards your loans, as much as a couple hundred dollars a month, they go down really quickly. So for me, it it wasn't actually that difficult to pay them off. But again, I had a lot of help. I was living at home. I had reduced expenses. And for the first couple of years, I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. Besides living at home and, you know, making the additional payments towards your loan, did you have any other kind of lifestyle change that you stumbled upon while you were paying back your debt? Lifestyle changes, not exactly. Um, I've always been a pretty, I, don't, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty basic, I guess, in my needs. I'm not really um, someone who needs to have a lot of like attention given to me. I'm not someone who's going to be looking to go out and get, you know, like a new car or fancy clothes or anything flashy. I'm, I'm very introverted for the most part. And so I don't really like the attention, which has been helpful <laughs> in terms of finances. Um, so I haven't really had this drive to go out and acquire things or to or to do things. Lifestyle change is not really, although another thing that I've always done since I graduated from my undergrad uh, university was having side jobs. And that's another thing I sort of just stumbled onto. Early on, I decided I wanted to look into buying a house and I wanted to go to grad school and I wanted to have as little debt as possible. So I was really um, big into doing side jobs and saving as much as I possibly could. Again, going off of my parents helping me so much, they also had gifted me a car, um, which I'm still driving. <laughs> and it's, you know, things like that, not not striving or being really focused on material possessions has really helped me as well. Um, like I said, I still drive the car my parents gave me like six years ago, and it doesn't look very pretty. Um it's got 272,000 miles on it, but it still drives and I'm not worried about what it looks like or what people think of me. And so not having to focus my money on things like that has allowed me to put it towards savings or paying off debt or other goals that I've had. I think something really important that is, is sort of a big takeaway that, that you've given to me from this is you did this sort of naturally and you know, like it kind of came about a result of your circumstances and sort of having a good mindset. And I think a lot of people, like you say, as an example, you get your student loan disbursements and you, instead of, you know, spending the money or, you know, putting that money towards going out, partying or whatever the case was, you decided to make the good financial decision in terms of let's put it back into the loan because I don't actually need all this money. I'm only going to withdraw what I'm actually using. And I, I think right. a lot of people get that wrong. I think a lot of people are like, oh, I have all this money now, you know, and there's never sort of a thought given to, well, what about in a couple of years time when I need to pay this back? And I think a lot of people right. dive in like head first and they're like, oh, you know, like I'm just going to, um, you know, spend money and then think about the consequences later. And I think sort of having your mindset thinking about, you know, 
the gravity of what you're actually doing and doing it from a young age and learning to do that very early on, it can really set you up in a, in a much different position to where most people are at and your peers. And like, like we said a little bit earlier, teachers don't make a ton of money. However, as a result of your circumstances and good decisions, you're probably in a significantly better financial position than most people that are earning six figures. No, I completely agree with that. And, you know, as you mentioned, I kind of did it naturally, but I also did have some good role models that I was modeling. Um, My grandparents, who I've talked about on the blog many times, they grew up depression era and in poverty. And their motto has always been, you don't buy something unless you have the money to pay for it. And even buying a house or a car, uh, they're the kind of people that they will use credit sparingly but they pay it off as soon as they can. And they're very, very, very careful. Um, and my parents, even though it's kind of, it's kind of funny because my parents helps me a lot and I'm very grateful to them, but their mindset's a little different. They're more spenders. So I was shown that as well. And some of the consequences that can come about from spending too much and not having enough in savings and stretching yourself out a little more. It's kind of ironic too, because my mom worked in banking (laughs) her whole life and finance. So on the one hand, she knew how the system worked and, and how to, you know, kind of do and progress with loans and different things. But on the other hand, you know, they had a lot of loans and and (laughs) spent a lot of money. So I kind of got both sides. And I luckily have modeled, tried to model myself after older people that I see that I want to be like, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm not one of those people who doesn't listen to older people. In fact, I seek them out. If I have a question and someone else has been through it before, I'm definitely going to seek them out and their advice and try to avoid any pain points if I can. <laughs> so I can really appreciate that because graduating from college and having that lifestyle creep, a lot of people even, you know, who are making six figures are so far in debt. And even like you said, with banking, I know before we started the personal finance blog and podcast that for Chain of Wealth, Dennis is a chartered accountant and you understood money on like a, a large scale, but when it came to like saving and like investing and everything, we were not as conscious about it. So I think even the, even though people make a lot of money, doesn't mean that they're saving it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And like my mom always told me, and it took me a long time to really kind of wrap my head around it. It's not how much money you make. It's how much money you're able to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now that I've really kind of joined the personal finance community and, you know, I talk about money and really pay attention to what I'm spending and everything, that makes a lot of sense because we talked about it a little bit before the podcast. Private school teachers don't make a ton of money, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I have more money now making less than when I did working in a public school. Definitely. So I wanted to circle back. I know I'm asking a lot of student loan questions, but we have had a lot of professionals on the podcast talking about student loans and student loan forgiveness. And you are an actual special education teacher. And there are two different types of teachers. There's like a regular education teacher like me. And then there's a special education teacher which is what you do. And there's different certifications and everything that go along with it. Mm -hmm. Did you qualify for any of those special education student loan forgiveness? 
You know, I actually was very fortunate in that when I, so I, my undergraduate was in psychology and I initially wanted to go in a very different direction. I wanted to be a psychologist. Um, but I graduated uh, in 2009, right around the time of the big recession. And I initially wanted to go straight into grad school for clinical psychology and become essentially a psychologist working with patients with various uh, disorders and needs. And I wasn't able to get into grad school. And I had to kind of reroute and go in a different direction. And I ended up working at a treatment facility. And it's the same place that I'm working now as a teacher. But I worked on the mental health side. And when I looked around at what was going on, you know, there was therapy and psychiatry and psychology and social work and all these different things. What's really spoke to me was the teaching. That's what seemed to be making the difference or the biggest difference. So I changed directions and ended up going back to school to get my master's to become a special education teacher. Now, having said all that, I was very fortunate in that I had built up some savings in the time that between my undergrad and my grad school, and I had savings from when I was a kid. And I actually worked full time and went to grad school part time and paid my way through grad school. So I actually paid out of pocket. Wow. Um, yeah, for my grad school. And it was possible, again, because I had savings already built up. I did not have any debt. I paid off my undergrad student loans. I was working full time and I had some side jobs during the time, the, that same time as well. So I actually paid out of pocket um, over a two-year program. And then there was a third year with a few more classes to finish up the master's. So I did not really look into any forgiveness programs. However, there was a grant that I debated applying for that was, I think it was up to $10,000, but it was basically if you were accepted for this grant, they would give you this $10,000 or whatever the amount was. And you had to work in, I believe it was a Title I school for five years to mm -hmm. earn that or you had to pay it back. And at the time, there was some recovery happening from the recession, but it was difficult to get a teaching job at that time. And I was really worried. I had wanted to come back and teach where I had been previously, but I didn't know if that was a guarantee. So I didn't end up taking it because I wasn't sure that I would be able to actually fulfill the requirements and then I would have to pay it back. So I actually chose not to go for that. And lo and behold, I did end up in a situation where I would have qualified. But, you know, that's beside the point. Either way, it was paid off and I could pay for it out of pocket. So I went that route. That makes a lot of sense. I remember I graduated around the same time and I remember coming out of college a little concerned that I wouldn't be able to find a job because when I started college, everybody was like, oh, teachers, you'll always have a job. No problem. Like you're guaranteed a job, you know, this and this and this. And then our graduation date started creeping a little closer. And it was right after 2008, 2009. And they were like, oh, we don't really know if we're going to be able to yeah. hire people. And it was yep. like, it was a panic for everybody. So I can definitely appreciate your thinking for the loan, the grant that you were thinking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just, it wasn't certain. So I, and I'm very averse to risk, <laughs> which has kind of been not the best thing in terms of I recently started getting into investing and whatnot. And I'm kind of behind the eight ball on that. But hey, it, it worked out for me because I was able to 
pay out of pocket. I mean, if I had had to use loans, it might have been a different story. I probably would have applied anyway, but it worked out. So <laughs> I also like that you didn't rely on that as well. And you were able to pay for it out of pocket because of the position you set yourself up for. So either way, you were in a good place. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you've you've got to set yourself up for options. And I remember when I was in my early 20s, you know, getting ready to graduate, my mindset has always been if I put in the hard work right now, then I'm setting myself up for the rest of my life. And it's quite often the reverse for younger people. I've found, you know, a lot of people, maybe they've graduated from high school and they want to take a few years off and they want to travel or they want to do whatever. And that's great. And I totally envious of it. But my mindset has been if I work really hard in my 20s and get myself really a good foundation and set up, then I'm going to have much longer that I can coast and enjoy things as opposed to, hey, I partied or traveled or whatever all throughout my 20s. Now I'm playing catch up for the next 20 years. So totally agree. So what would you recommend to someone that is sort of at the beginning stages of that and they've realized that they've got all this debt? Like, what would you recommend that they do? Um, are you talking like someone who's graduated from college maybe and has a bunch of student loans? Right. Yeah. Or, or potentially okay. someone that's like in their like late 20s, early 30s. And all of a sudden they've come to this realization they've got a ton of debt. Similar position to what Kate was in like literally two, three mm -hmm. years ago. Well, I mean, there's only a couple of ways to get more money, right? You can either increase your income or decrease your spending. And there's millions of ways that people write about getting out of debt, saving money, whatever. But it really boils down to that. And so if you've got a bunch of debt and you're serious about getting out of it, you really need to take a good hard look at your life, your expenses, and find out what you can cut out. That's probably the main thing. The more money you can redirect into your debt and paying your debt off, the faster it'll go away. <laughs> you know, making minimum payments on things, it works in a lot of ways and it will work on the debt. But the quickest way to get rid of it, especially high interest debt, is to pay extra so that you're reducing the interest you're paying on it and putting more towards the actual principal balance. And then the other thing that I've done, um, which, you know, we can get into a little later, but with my career is if you can figure out ways to increase your income, either through side hustles or, you know, looking at your career job or whatever job you're in, if there's ways that you can increase that income while also decreasing your spending and paying more towards debt, you know, that's really the only way you can do it. And it may take several years, but if you're serious about it, it's better to knuckle down and get it over with. And then you'll have a fresh slate to go in whatever direction you want. If you guys haven't checked it out already, or if you're looking for a qualified retirement plan, something a little bit different to a traditional 401k or 403b or whatever else it is, we interviewed Damien Lupo a few episodes back and we really had a great chat with him. He talked all about what a QRP is. Essentially, it's a retirement plan that you are more actively involved in. But Damien agreed to send out a free book to whoever listens to the episode. So definitely go check out the episode. If you just want the free book, I'm happy to give you the, the quick and dirty. You can head on over to chainofwealth.com slash QRP. And yeah, he will ship you a free book. But yeah, essentially, it's a lot more hands-on. So chainofwealth.com slash QRP.
Okay, so we have talked about it a little bit, but I was curious to know what your saving and what your retirement plan looks like. (laughs) Well, um, as you know, Kate, from being a teacher, well, I don't know actually about your state, but um, most teachers have a pension plan of some kind Mm -hmm. um, that they're paying into. Um, it's different, you know, state by state, but um, for Oregon, our retirement plan is called PERS, and it is not an optional thing. And that's something that, although a lot of people probably are frustrated about um, that are state employees that have to pay into it, it's actually a good thing because most people, when they start making their first real money, they don't want to spend any money t- or put any money towards savings or retirement. They want to spend it. But with um, the teacher pension plans, you are forced to pay into it. So for my plan, I've been paying 6% of my salary since I became a teacher. So I'm in my sixth year. That means I've been paying six years into this pension plan. Now, it's not just great because I was forced to pay into it. It's also great because, as I mentioned a little earlier on, I'm late to the game in terms of investing. (laughs) That's the one area that I was really lacking in in basic sort of personal finance knowledge before joining this community. And I'm really grateful to the personal finance blogger community over the last year in opening my eyes to investments. And I think a couple of things. One, um, my grandparents, as I mentioned, were depression era people. So they were shying away from investments. They were distrustful of the stock market. And my parents don't really have investments. They were more spenders and they have savings, but that's, you know, different than making your money work for you. So I didn't really have a lot of knowledge or role modeling or anything on investments. So aside from my pension, I have built up my savings again since buying the house. And I recently, within the last year, opened up uh, a 403B account, which is something that is offered to public employees. It's sort of a supplementary retirement account. And uh, you can pay into it up to, I think the max now is 18500 or so a year. And it comes directly out of your check, too. So once you set it up, it comes out every month. You don't have to worry about, you know, moving it. It just comes out automatically. So I opened that up and I'm contributing towards that a couple hundred dollars a month. I also recently opened up an IRA and I maxed that out for this year using my savings And then I also opened up just a regular brokerage account with Vanguard, and I've been contributing as much as I can to that. So even though I'm late to the game, now I've got more of a diversification of investments going on and and retirement things going on. Um, Another thing I'd like to get into, which I haven't yet, as you know, I bought a house about three years ago, three and a half years ago. And I've been really fortunate in that the Portland area market has been really hot over the last four or so years. And my home value has increased by almost $100,000 in the last three and a half years. And I was able to put, when I purchased the home, I was able to put a 20% down payment. And I've been working diligently on paying my mortgage down by putting extra towards that every month. So with the combination of the 20% down payment, paying extra every month and the increase in my home value, I have quite a bit of equity. And so one thing I'd really like to look into doing is possibly purchasing a rental property in the next year or so, and then using that as another retirement income stream. So I'm really trying to branch out and put other personal finance people's knowledge to use in my own life and just 
you know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So I'm trying really hard to diversify and to really make sure I'm planning for the future and saving for the future. Wow, good for you. And it's definitely better late than never, right? Right. Definitely. (laughs) Just get started. You know, it's even like I when I started, I actually spent um, about a month moving most of my accounts from another firm to Vanguard recently because of their lower fees. And, you know, even though I felt like, oh, gosh, I messed up. But then at the same time, I was like, you know what? I just needed to get started. And it's okay if you need to change it or adjust it. It's just just start. Don't put it off Um, because then it'll turn into yours. I've been putting off starting a 403B for like three years. And now I'm kicking myself going, gosh, if I'd only just done it, you know. So that's a big thing I would definitely say to young people is just start. You know, <laughs> Don't worry if it's perfect or not. Just get it, get it going so that you have the benefit of the years and the time. Yeah, we're totally with you. So do you have a favorite book you are currently into or that you've read recently? Well, I'm an avid, avid reader. So I have books that I'm reading all the time. I'm actually part of a book club with a friend of mine. So we've been reading fiction books and whatnot. But in terms of personal finance books, it's actually funny because I had never read a personal finance book until recently, until joining this community. I recently read uh, Grant Saboteur's Financial Freedom book. I actually did a review of it for the blog. And I really enjoyed that. I actually made a lot of my investment decisions based on Grant's advice that I've done in the last couple of months. So I was really grateful to him for laying out the route he took in a really easy to read way. And what I really liked about the book was he he talked about how he did it, which is not going to necessarily work for everybody in its entirety. But He also was very good about saying, hey, listen, you may not do it as quickly as me or, you know, it may not look exactly the same, but here's what I did. And here's some things that you might be able to pick and choose what would work for your situation. And so I've used some of those things from his book to apply to my life. I actually just finished a few days ago, The Richest Man in Babylon, which is a pretty, you know, well-known book in the personal finance realm. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very intuitive. And although they don't give you the same actionable modern day steps that Grant's book does, it's, I think, a good overall view of how you should conduct your life if you want to build wealth. And I think a lot of people, if they read this book early on in their life, would have a very different view of what they should do with their life. You know, especially the parts about do you want to spend on the fancy robes and all this fancy stuff, the jewels and whatnot now? Or do you want to make your money work for you and, and then you'll have more wealth than you could ever imagine type of an idea? Um, so I, I found that book really, really interesting. And obviously this was, you know, practices that were being done thousands of years ago and they're just as applicable today. So I, I thought it was really a really cool book. That's wonderful. So uh, do you have a favorite quote you try to live by? Oh, goodness. A favorite quote. (laughs) Um, Not one that comes to mind readily other than um, this is actually the inspiration for the name of the blog that I started. And I actually have a co-blogger and he's the one who came up with this. He is a retired financial analyst, my co-blogger is, and he always told me he's been a friend of mine for years and he's always told me money saved is money earned. 
so, you know, that I, that always has resonated with me. And when we were talking a few years ago about potentially starting a blog, that's what came to mind. That's what the blog has to be called. <laughs> so I guess that's something I live my life by. There's lots of great quotes out there, though, that really resonate with me. But that's the one I think that comes most to mind. Tony, we've absolutely had a ball today. Do you have another last parting piece of advice for our listeners? And then we'll say goodbye. My biggest advice for people, I, I already kind of mentioned it earlier, but to start early, learn as much as you can about finances, because unfortunately, unless you have family members who know or you're you're lucky enough to have a class of some kind, you're not taught about finances. And there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just the numbers. It's the mindset. It's the emotions. It's marketing. It's media. It's all of these things. And it's really unfortunate because if you don't know what you're doing in terms of finances, you're going to get taken because everyone's out for your money, <laughs> basically. So start early. Try to learn as much as you can. Try to keep your debt as low as possible and start investing and saving as soon as possible, even if it's $10 a month. You need the time on your side to get the most out of it. And then, you know, lastly, just don't be worried about making mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Just get started. Money Clan, we've been hanging out with Tanya Redding. You can check out her blog. It's moneysavedmoneyearned.com and definitely start saving as soon as you can. It's going to really have a massive impact for you later on. Well, Kate, I really took a lot away from that episode. How about you? Makes me think that I could have done things a little bit differently, but at the same time, I am a big believer of things happen for a reason. And if I would have been financially responsible like Tanya, we wouldn't have this podcast. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to look at it. But I also think that, you know, she also said that she's late to the game in terms of like saving and retirements and stuff like that. Now that she set up her account, she feels a bit better about it. But I think that wherever you are on your journey, the most important thing to do is to be aware of what's going on and trying to figure out what should you be doing with your money. Don't just leave it somewhere. Like figure out, have a plan. Be like, I'm going to put away $500 into this retirement account every month and then just stick to it. Well, and not only that, if you are not investing, you're not alone because what is it? Like one in three millennials are investing. Yeah, one in three millennials and don't invest. That is not a lot. Sorry, no, only one in three invest. Yeah, that's what I said. Sorry, I'm I'm just, I'm losing myself. <laughs> <laughs> so investing is not a super... Common thing for millennials to do. Yeah, yeah. which is... Which is very sad. And we'll be diving more into investing in future episodes. But uh, do you have anything more for everyone before we say goodbye? Yes. Follow us on Instagram at Chain of Wealth. All right. We'll catch you guys next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 